Hello and welcome to Tammy Kinders. Well, for some reason, they've let us have another series of this. It's where Howard and I go and explore the wild and wonderful things around the Isle of Man. It keeps happening, doesn't it? We keep coming back like a bad penny. But yes, it's the sort of thing where we have an open agenda. Anything goes on this programme, quite literally. We even found something right outside our door not that long ago. More of that later, but to start... Well, we are going to go to St. Thomas's Church in just a moment, but on this show we also have a regular challenge, and normally this is something that Howard dreams up, a little experiment that we carry out. I'm going to give you a whole shiny pound if you manage not to mention a programme from years ago which you used to watch as a child, because I think you mentioned it every single time last year. So I'm going to wonder if you can get through a challenge series without mentioning it once. But first of all, yes, we're heading to St. Thomas's Church, (laughs) St. Thomas's Church in Douglas. And very recently, Manx National Heritage celebrated 10 years of open events. This is where the public get to delve into places that they don't normally get to see. And one of those places was St. Thomas's Church in Douglas, which is just uh, at the bottom of Finch Road there. And Charles Guard is just fascinating about so many things to do with the Isle of Man, but he's particularly passionate about this church. And in the first of our little sneaky peeks here, he explains why. I've been practicing the organ here since I was in my teens, actually, so I've got great affection for it. I just love the smell in here. There's a sort of smell of polish and wood, and of course, the incredible decorations and the island's finest pipe organ, the biggest and finest. I just love making a big noise on that. And what you've got is a photograph of this church from about 1860. Can we have a quick look at that? Because it shows, I think, just the difference that happened between that time and, I think, the 1890s when all the artwork was done. So what have we got here? Well, this is uh, taken looking towards the altar in 1860. And the first thing you can see is there's no decoration or very, very simple decoration. It's all painted white. Uh, the organ is very um, invisible. It m- must be in uh, one of the little balconies, alcoves at the top. No big screen, the rude screen that we've got behind us now. So all this was added in the 1890s. The vicar then, Canon Savage, decided he'd raise the money to do these amazing murals. And he commissioned John Miller Nicholson and his team to paint them. It took about 15 years. And now, I think you'd agree, they're, they're just stunning. And they are some of the finest in the British Isles. Fifteen years to do this. I mean, I can understand why, because they are absolutely breathtaking. And that's obviously John Miller Nicholson, the artist of some repute. I mean, a fantastic artist. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, he did uh, big stencils first, and they were traced onto the walls. After hours, the two men must have sat for hours discussing all the symbolism, the Old Testament down there with the uh, angels with the flaming swords, the tree of life and the, the Lamb of God, all these wonderful things, right up to the New Testament here with this multitude uh, which no man could number. You can see all the faces there, the Annunciation, St. Michael and the dragon, and then above the altar, the tree of life restored all highly symbolic. He wrote a little book about it all. And Nicholson's team of painters, because he was in fact running a painting and decorating company at the time in Well Road Hill, they were employed for years and years. And when they restored these murals a few years ago, they began to find signatures of some of the workmen. And Lewis Kane, way up the top there, just penciled in, I'm sick of this, I've been on it for three years. (laughs) (laughs) So they must have dreaded coming down here just to fill in all these patterns. And something else which is 
incredibly significant and beautiful are the stained glass windows as well. They are. You can see a, a Manx one at the far end there at the top with the three legs in. Uh, a great variety and some of them are uh, very old, obviously, dating back to the 19th century. And there was something of an argument that happened over St Thomas's and there really was quite a battle over it. Extraordinary. Only the Church of England could produce an unholy row like this. Um, at the time, this was the parish of Braddon, and this church was built for the poor of Douglas and for the tourists. The vicar of Braddon, John Drury, decided he had the authority to appoint the vicar here. The bishop, the Reverend Horatio Powis, decided that he had the power. And so they wouldn't speak to each other. And in the end, the, vic the, the bishop confiscated the keys to the church, and it was locked for five years. Um, there were court cases, there were bricks thrown through the windows of bishop's court. Um, the bishop was taking, taken to court for insulting the advocates of the vicar, and it's only when he finally retired and went to England and the church commissioners stepped in that, that the matter was resolved. Amazing. That is extraordinary when you think as well in those times, church was essential for people. And when you think mm. of the, the, the hordes that used to come to church on the Isle of Man, it, you can see why that would create quite a stir. Well, uh, all the newspapers were agog and the wonderful letters, florid letters insulting uh, John Drury and all the rest of it. It was a real gripping stalker, actually. Uh, and you're right, it was built for the poor of Douglas. And at that time, tourism was beginning to take off. And these poor people... Uh, suddenly were locked out of their church for five years, a ridiculous squabble. Mm -hmm. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, we're standing beside, though, as well, uh, as you mentioned, the organ, and uh, you said it is a, a very special piece, this. Well, it's the largest one on the island. It's got, I haven't personally counted them, but I've tried to work it out, 1,973 pipes, give or take one or two. Um, the wonderful thing is it's all pneumatic. It, there's no electricity involved in it. Uh, I mean, it's electric light now there, but that would have been a gas light. The mechanism inside, if you want to come up in the minute, I'll show you, is absolutely astonishing. And for anyone who likes making a big noise, this is the instrument to be on. Can we go and have a good look at the mechanism then? Well, as we left it on a cliffhanger there, going to look at the mechanism. <laughs> An organ hanger. There is, well, mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, there is more to come from St. Thomas's. And Christy and I got to delve into the depths of St. Thomas's church. And it, we went through a door that not many people have ever been through before. A secret door. Secret door. Oh. Um, but Does it go into the crypt? Well, not quite. Not that I know of. I didn't want to ask that question. Mm -hmm. um, those Max National Heritage Days, by the way, are just brilliant. So it's the first two weekends in October. Loads of places around the Isle of Man open to the public. Loads of tours around places as well. I went to the um, Bailey Scott Police Station in Castletown. Yeah. It's just brilliant to be able to have a look inside these places that you walk past so often. Um, and it's a great idea. Hugely popular. So um, happy 10th anniversary to those. And I hope there'll be many, many more of them. And eagle ears. 
Dead and keen memory listeners will remember, of course, that earlier on TMG this year, I think, we had a sneak preview yes. of the open days. Uh, we're very lucky to go uh, because uh, there was a big waiting queue, I think, to go up the Albert Tower. Yeah, that was incredible. Again, that's one of those landmarks, isn't it? And I've often wondered what was inside. I know there was very limited places uh, for people to go on a the tours of there because it's really, mm. it's quite a small space and obviously you have to be quite um, physically fit as well. There's quite a few stairs going up, but what a view when you get to the top it was of there. glorious and we were lucky with the weather, as indeed we are today. And uh, funnily enough, speaking of that, it's uh, you never know quite when things are going to drop into your lap from the point of view of interesting, quirky things to take a look at around the Isle of Man. Some of them are carefully planned, like Beth's last trip there. Sometimes we're scratching our heads. Sometimes people suggest, what's this? What's that? Do you know about this? And we've done one or two of those over the years, out hunting, and probably more of those coming up, I dare say, in this series. But this one literally dropped into our lap and that uh, just got into work this very morning as we recorded the programme. And uh, lo and behold, someone said, look, look, look out in the bay. There are dolphins. And you sometimes see them around the Isle of Man. But wow, what a thrill. And it wasn't just one. There was a whole... I was going to say herd, but it's a pod. It's a pod. A whole pod of dolphins. Um, well, we just had to go out and take a look. Okay, so a lovely October afternoon and Douglas Head just outside the station and something you occasionally get, if you're very lucky. I haven't been as lucky as the others yet, but dolphins. I know, you wouldn't believe it, would you? I still have to sort of pinch myself to believe that you can get dolphins in the waters around us here. Um, but I'm on that Manx Wildlife app, which tells ah, you when there are sightings. So people are brilliant. Oh my gosh, you can't miss them now. They're really close in. Um, and there is a whole pod of them in Douglas Bay. Um, and we could sort of see little specks when we were looking out the window earlier. But they've come in really close now. And can you have you seen them at all yet? This is like where's Wally for you? It's like a magic picture. <laughs> Look, is. right, right, right. I'm there, looking. There, 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 there. Oh, you right. See? Did you now, see it? Right. Now I've got them. Yes. Right. See, my my eyes were too far to the left. There. Now they are clearly just over as we're standing Look, on the head. There's loads of them. So if you look a little bit further back, there are more up there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go further bit down and take a look. So this time of year, presumably, there'll be bottlenose dolphins if they're saying they're dolphins, and you can see them there now. Yeah, actually, I've got the binoculars here oh, if you right. want to take a look. So, yes, yeah, so they're just right in the bay and actually have come in quite close to the shoreline. So we're looking at the moment, just looking over the top of the camera obscura, and you can see them fairly clearly down from there. Can you see them better there? Yeah, <laughs> That's a help. Well, Beth's going cross-country in her best boots. Oh, yeah! Oh, now we've got them. Yeah? That's like magic. Oh, Beth's never used binoculars before. <laughs> She's amazed. You appear in one end and everything appears bigger. But you can actually, uh, you can oh, actually yeah. see them now, yeah, oh, even with the naked eye. And they can't be more than 100, 150 yards oh, off the incredible. bay. And we're saying, I'm, I'm assuming they definitely are bottlenose. Oh. oh, gosh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. There is quite a crowd of them there now. I mean, I suppose they could be harbour porpoise, but... I'm assuming, I think this time of the year, it's more common for them to be bottlenose dolphins. And if someone's posted that, particularly on the site, then I dare say their expertise is greater oh than ours. Gosh, oh, look at that one. Oh, you see that? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And do you know what? It's Sarah Hendy's birthday. It's like a little birthday treat for her. Perhaps they knew. <laughs> Maybe they did. I think they're spelling out. Hang on. Happy birthday. birthday. There it is. Fantastic. Sort of leaping out the air into making little figures. H A P P. <laughs> that just to prove you can spell happy. <laughs> well, that might be a little bit of poetic license, but they are definitely there. There is quite a sizable number of them today. Uh, today being Wednesday, that's the what, 16th, I think, isn't it, of October. It's a glorious day for them because it's a blue sky, the sea is flat, 
next to no wind realistically, certainly for the Isle of Man. And yes, you know, I haven't seen any for quite some time. You do get, obviously, basking sharks around here. You get the occasion. The last thing I saw off Douglas Head was a minky whale. Um, but I think the one before you saw one relatively recently. The last one I saw was a year or two back. But it did stay around for quite some time, which was nice. Yeah, that group that I'm lucky to be a member of is just brilliant. And it's so lovely that people share this experience so that other people can go out and see what is just an amazing array of marine life in our waters. And you wouldn't quite believe it could happen. But here we are. And I've worked out how to use binoculars. It's a good day. <laughs> It is good. And of course, you can go online and find out more. There's more by the Mags Wildlife Trust, the various groups there are associated with the MWT. And I think if you go along, I'm saying this, but if you go a little bit along the Marine Drive, I think they've got some information boards out there now as well, actually giving you some details on the sort of uh, species you can actually see. Yeah, they have. And uh, I don't think anyone's doing any work currently because I can see several people from our Half office. Half of Max Radio staff is <laughs> just, actually just standing on the road. Watching dolphins. Well, what else do we do up here? Don't tell the boss. <laughs> Yes, well, and that was literally just you know hours ago. Really wonderful, fantastic sighting, and they do sometimes come in really quite close, as they did in this case. And at first, I couldn't see them, but then they were—they can't be more than like I think I mentioned there, hundred yards. I know, just absolutely incredible, and such a wonderful thing to see in a lovely autumn morning. So the question is, yeah, are we going to do a podcast? You stole my joke. <laughs> I can't believe you I knew did in your that. Eyes. I knew in your eyes you wanted to. I was to... building up to that. I were... cannot believe well, that. What, I'll take it back. Pretend you didn't hear that. No, listen. forget it. Just no. pretend and Beth will do it again. Forget it. No, I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to do it now. Not going to do it. I'm in a mood, officially. This is Tamagindis on Max Radio with Beth and Howard, although it won't be with Beth for much longer. So here we are, the start of another Tamagindis season, and I find myself in the countryside. I think you can hear the chickens in the background. There's the odd mooing of a cow. It is, in fact, Howard's backyard, and as I speak, he's doing something with a cup and a watering can. He's got a little um, fruit shoot bottle. What's going on, mate? So this, well, this was the idea we had, actually, quite a a few months ago now, didn't we? A fruit shoot rocket. Can you make your own rocket out of a fruit shoot bottle, which I don't actually drink, but fortunately your tribe do, so a fruit shoot bottle and some Alka-Seltzer. Right, okay, so we need to set it up then. Um, watering can in hand. I love the fact, I must describe what you're wearing, a very lovely suit. And then, was that wellies you've got on there? What's yeah, going it's on? it's very important to wear, <laughs> to wear muck boots and a grey casual suit and tie if you're doing this sort of thing just in order to get the right sort of amount of gravitas needed to get the launch going I suppose I was watching Apollo 13 last night so I'm not I'm not optimistic this is going to work really but it should do so the concept is yeah it's, it's the usual expansion of gas so we're going to get something which has water so we've got the fruit shoot bottle it's got this little jet at the end and the chickens uh, are excited anyway the chickens are enjoying it aren't they so and if we half fill this with water do we need to stand back? I'll find out in a minute. We might have to change fuel. That'll be the, the alternative. What would you put in it? We might move from Alka Salsa to Andrews. Hold that thought. So, what we've discovered is the Alka Seltzer didn't work, so Howard has dutifully gone back into his medicine cabinet. Oh my goodness! Well, that was nearly exciting. He just picked up the bottle and it. Not gassy enough. Something happened, but it wasn't quite gassy enough. Anyway, he's gone to the medicine cabinet. He's got his Andrews now. So Howard is now spooning the Andrews liver salts into the bottle. 
There we go. It's not really being very measured with his <laughs> spoonfuls. We've just chucked a load in. He's going to give it a bit of a shake, put it down. Whoa! It worked! Wow! I'm so excited. We'll have one last try to see if we can go, get it to go. But it does actually work now. Okay. We've established that. Okay. Right. Try once more. On that basis. The excitement is palpable. Here we go. Okay. Take four. Take four. So he's spooning a load more in. A load more Andrew's going in there. Did you put enough in, do you reckon? Whoa! Yes. <laughs> Amazing! I think. It <laughs> works! Despite watching Apollo 13, well, it was a bit Apollo 13-ish, which it <laughs> didn't quite get to the moon and back, but at least it took off. So we got there in the end, yeah. Slow but sure. Uh, and it is all down to just generating enough gas to blow it off. Too much water, not enough gas, it's too heavy, it won't go anywhere, it'll just blow the lid off. Get the balance right, and so it actually generates enough gas. Not too heavy, and away it goes, so. I think that was a success in the end, don't you? A fruit shoot rocket. Well, you know, it was a success. Was it, it was, actually. There are some things that maybe can't be appreciated fully on the wireless, despite how well we uh, described what it's was happening there. It's a fantastic description, though. I thought, you know, that it, I was almost there. Well, I was there. But well, I mean, you were, I could have been, there. even if I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, you'll be pleased to know that I also managed to take some video as well. And um, From a safe distance. Yeah. it was. Well, I was a little bit worried after it went off the first time, and I thought, oh, it actually could get some... Uh, some height to it um, and uh, said that before. well it's weird wasn't it because the first one that took off went in one direction then the second one went in a completely different direction yeah I think that was to do actually with just the angle of the because you need to get a fairly snug fit for the fruit shoot bottle in the launch pad or mug as they're known mm -hmm. more commonly and uh, yeah, I changed the mug a little bit because the first one was far too bold so ah, okay. it wouldn't stand up upright the second one was quite good but if you've got exactly the right size so it was really vertical and there's no wind it should go straight up amazing well the video will be available on the Manx Radio Facebook page so check it out and you can try that rocket out for yourself at home who and, wouldn't want to do yeah. that and if you have any thoughts I'm not going to mention any programmes you might have seen Please as don't. a child but if you have any thoughts of things that you might like to us to try out that sort of scale of things, you know, launching rockets, balloony type things, things with water, slime, making, you know, we try to laugh a That's just actually. the context of your head, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tamagindis on Manx Radio. At the start of the show then, you heard Christy D and myself having a little walk around St. Thomas's Church. This is with uh, Charles Gard. Um, we left... On a cliffhanger, we were just about to go and have a look at the mechanism behind the magnificent organ there. Oh, my word. So you've opened a door to uh, another world, really. Absolutely. <laughs> These are the reservoirs that store the, the air for the organ. They're like great water beds. They're about the size of a, of a billiard table. And uh, all the amazing mechanism, thousands and thousands of tiny lead pipes, all put in in the 1860s. Uh, and restored in 1913, and all full of compressed air. It's just an astonishing. And beyond there, if one of you wants to climb up that little ladder, you have to be quite small to get in here. That would be best. You'll start <laughs> to see the 1,973 pipes. No way. I'm going to try and follow her in. I mean, this is... What a tiny space to try and fit all this into as well. And a Beth. I mean, that's quite something. Gosh, this is extraordinary. Oh, my God. Beth, what can you see? Just 
a marvel. The Victorians were incredible, weren't they? I know we say this a lot, but my goodness. Please don't fall. How did they get in this space? It was the working conditions to create this must have been so tricky. Yes, and I must pay tribute to our resident genius organ builder, Peter Jones, who comes and restores all these instruments and keeps them in tip-top condition. He is one of the finest organ builders in the British Isles. Terribly lucky to have him on the island. Anything that happens in any of the organs, there's over 70 of them on the island, they're all in immaculate condition. And you are definitely someone who just revels, don't you, in finding out how things work. Indeed, I've always <laughs> been fascinated by this. I mean, I was just doing these little pneumatic things, these little tubes here all were there. The, the complexity of the mechanism, and it works perfectly and instantly. You know, if I'm playing a very fast piece, the response is just as quick as any electronics today. And lots of lovely soft flutes. And um, the big organ sound. So we thought what we just saw was extraordinary, but now Charles is taking us somewhere else and he said, we haven't seen the most exciting bit yet, so we're going downstairs, around some corners, past the tea supplies, which every good church should have. Oh! We're sort of going into the bowels here. Oh, where are we? What is this? This is the blower, which is a huge fan in that case with an electric motor that itself is an antique, probably dating from the 1940s, which is supplying all the wind to the organ, a vast amount of wind under pressure. But before this was installed, it was run on water power from water from a reservoir in Summerhill Glen. And I only discovered this fairly recently because there's a secret passage here. If you'd like to come down here, um, Ooh, hardly anyone ever does this. Oh, this is so exciting. How much space does the organ itself take up with all of this, do you think? Well, you can see it's brilliantly designed for all this to fit in a tiny room. Now, this is... Uh, an early reservoir in the instrument. It's absolutely vast. How they got it in here, I don't know. And here are reciprocating bellows that went up and down, driven, if you just kneel down, by this incredible water pump fed here through this pipe. And this hasn't been used for maybe a century or, or, or more, I don't know. But in the old days, the water from Summerhill Reservoir would um, pump these up and down, you just turn this valve on in the morning when you were getting ready to start, and it would supply the air for the organ. And this water is in a pipe that came from that reservoir along the promenade and fed the steam packet vessels. They would fill up with drinking water there, but there were uh, extensions coming off. One went into Yates's wine lodge and uh, worked a power lift to lift the beer up and down from the cellar. Um, and that's uh, what was used in here as well. Absolutely incredible. Gosh, the ingenuity. I mean, it's just astonishing, isn't it? And you just get a sense of history just even being in here, don't you? That idea that, you know, this hasn't been looked at properly or used for for a century. For a century, probably. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And there are still so many discoveries like that around the Isle of Man, which is the thing you absolutely love, Charles. Mm -hmm. I certainly do. The thrill of finding this, I mean... No one told me about it. I just saw it. I opened that door and I couldn't believe walking down this long, narrow passage and finding this here. It was incredible. So how did you actually work out what it was? Well, uh, 
these sort of water pumps were used on other instruments. So I had a friend uh, come down who's a bit of an engineer and look at all the pipes and see how it might have worked. I'd love to turn that valve and see what happens, but I'm afraid that the water might flood in and I couldn't switch it off and then we'd be underwater here, so I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> He's mischievous, isn't he? Don't leave me here because I don't think I'll do much for the organ sound. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much to Charles Gard for that sneaky tour around St. Thomas's Church in Douglas. And if they have any more Manx National Heritage Days and that option is available to you, please do go and take a look. It's magnificent. We've reached the point of the programme where we take a look in the Manx Radio archive. A rummage, a rummage, yeah. as they say, yeah. We need a catchy title for it, actually. Yeah. We'll have to Come think of something. What should the challenge, that could be a challenge, what should we call it? What should we call the rummage in the archive? Anyway, we've got uh, Max Radio Archive here. It goes back years and years and years and years. Uh, Howard's been for a little uh, fumble around. What have you found? Oh, right. Well, I've, I've found a cassette today, Grandma, if okay. you can remember those. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's marked Terry Kringle. That's oh, wow. It's marked. So let me lean over. Say push the button. Push the button. And here we go. Kringle file with Terry Kringle. Well... Now that the little roundy ring has gone, we've been given a changed priority in its place. But it's hard to say whether the situation is greatly improved. To explain, the little roundy ring is, or rather was, the circle painted in white paint on the road at the junction of Bank Hill and North Quay in Douglas as a roundabout to keep the traffic in order. Last week, the DHPP removed it and replaced it with a new and for many drivers, baffling design in white paint, telling us to do something other than what we did before. But it transpires that most of us dimwits that we are can't work out what is now required, because we'd become so used to the little roundy ring. And the DHPP admits that there have been, well, quite a few close shaves. So to warn people what it's all about, signs have been put up on the approaches to the junction, saying, changed priority. All of us working up here in Broadcasting House use the junction several times a day, and it's become clear to us at least that even though the little roundy ring has gone, most drivers still believe it's there. Now we move on to a cutting from the Manx Independent, a notice from Ramsey Branch of the RNLI offering for sale the launching carriage that was used for putting Ramsey lifeboat to sea off the beach before the new lifeboat came on station. The first time carriage is mentioned in the notice, it is spelt... He's hardly changed, has he? He really hasn't. His voice is just as wonderful as ever. It really is now. I have the fortune of uh, sitting next to uh, Terry Kringle at the office here at Manx Radio. So, uh, how amazing. A little sneak back. It is a sneak back, and we'll be sneaking back next week for more, of course, in the way of Tammy Kinders. See you then.